You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. This is... This is magnificent. Oh, yeah. Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. Well, welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I think this might have just turned into the dinosaur hole. Uh, we've got a lot of strange animals around here tonight. Uh, I hope you've got something special for you because we are jam-packing this episode with two different films and it really was just because of the way that some movies got laid out this year Tomorrowland and Jurassic Park uh excuse me Jurassic World um and that just didn't leave us enough time to be able to cover them in in their own show so we're going to be covering The Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 with me tonight I have some amazing guests and I I, I can't imagine um, uh, just a greater lineup. I'm really excited to have Mike Schindler back in the 602. How's it going, Mike? It's going okay. How are you? Thanks for having me. Man, it's it's going well. I'm I'm excited. Um, I'm at least excited that you guys are here. I'm not so sure how we'll be at the end after talking about the movies and we kind of rate them. But uh, back with us from Educating Geeks is Megan. Megan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, I'm going to be much better now that Rosie gave me this nice cup of hot tea between Phoenix Comic Con and some work travel I just recently did. I'm feeling a bit under the weather, so I know her tonic is going to help me feel much better. Awesome. She is so good at that. She uh, really yeah. is. She'll take care of you. And John Mills, back with me in the 602. How's it going, buddy? Uh, pretty good. I've actually got a uh, little cot behind the bar at this point, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, wake up, roll out, start recording. Awesome. Well, we'll get jumping right into this. Um, and so, the Lost World. Uh, and I like. I was kind of thinking about this. And we're back on the island again. <laughs> Perfect. At least delivery. it's different. Yeah. Um, and after Jurassic Park was the monster hit of the year. You know, Stephen really did want to do an actual sequel. He he even says on the extras he doesn't really consider the Indiana Jones movies sequels because they're serialized adventures. But this was going to be his first really direct sequel to to a movie. And uh, of course, he went to Michael Crichton and they talked about him writing another book. And he really wanted that to happen. He wanted him to be involved. Um, and. So yeah, they started working together and putting things together. Um, they retconned themselves by, uh, at least book-wise, uh, Malcolm had died in the book uh, because he was left there when they napalmed the island. Oh, that's uh, right. So yeah, it's a tough so, thing to bounce back from. It is. It is. Unless maybe you know, who knows? Uh, maybe somehow Malcolm had survived. They never. I don't even think in the Lost World book he they mention. <laughs> how he survived i don't think they do yeah you're making me want to reread them no it, it's it's very much you know it is very much at the end of that book though I, you know i i am going to go back and reread but i you walked away from that book sure that malcolm was dead that's why it was such a shock that they brought him back in the book yeah well and and maybe at this time too it almost kind of seems like maybe Crichton is just more writing a sequel to the movie than he is to the book who knows well I mean, you know, that happened um, with 2010 
Yeah. You know, so they backed it up instead of going to Saturn. They did 2010. They just said Jupiter because that's where they got there in the movie. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, one of the cool things about this, though, that that I think I responded to at least in the movie is the idea that this one is darker. You know, the first one has that feeling of it being kind of Disneyland gone wrong. Um, and you know, that, that goes along with the music of John Williams. Everything is much, it's grandiose. It feels epic. And this one, it it has kind of more of a King Kong, Mysterious Island, Lost World by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle kind of feel to it, where we're in a completely different type of place, uh, where humans basically just don't belong. And, uh, I kind of like, I kind of like that idea of, of going darker, you know, um, so, uh, when you heard, you guys heard, and you, you, you kind of first saw that we're going to be back in in the Jurassic Park world, but this time in a different place, um, what are you guys' first impressions there of being back on an island, but a different island, but yeah, what do you think? Well, um, I you know, I, I guess I, I came at it from a slightly different angle from most people in that I didn't really grow up with Jurassic Park park i mean i listened to your to your show last week and i was like wow you guys are all a bunch of babies you know (laughs) you're talking about like childhood experiences and everything and i'm like i am really freaking old um and i was in high school when lost world came out i didn't really watch jurassic park until a couple years after it came out and it was in between Jurassic Park and Lost World that I started really getting into movies and Spielberg in particular so this was like my first Spielberg movie that I actively anticipated. So I was willing to go wherever he wanted to take me, you know, and um, whether it was to one island or another, I I didn't care. And that's the type of thing which probably wouldn't have even um, registered with me going into the movie. I was just like, okay, it's Jurassic Park again. Great. I'm there. Let's do this. Interesting. Uh, I, I remember uh, when the movie came out and, uh, w- you know, all the hype leading up to it. I remember thinking practically, well, you know, they they were so different. I Like, finding out there was going to be a sequel to the book was the weird part for me. Because I thought that that was, you know, the book doesn't require a sequel. The book doesn't justify a sequel. Because it's all very neatly wrapped up at the end of the book. But the movie very much is open to it. Um and, but I, 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 you know, I still remember I went into this movie with, uh, I, I guess, outsized expectations because the first one was so mu- was so much fun. And I, you know, uh, I, I was totally willing to sit down and go again because, you know, a monster movie is always fun to go see. I wish I could remember how I felt about this movie before I went into it. I, I know that I was living overseas at the time. Um, my dad had been stationed in Germany, so I think it was one of those things where it was just like, oh, let's go see a movie because we need something to fill our time with. I love that first movie. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. I know I wasn't on the podcast that you guys did covering it, but Educating Geeks actually just recently did it. and I mean, it's just such a great movie. So, of course, I'm going to be willing to go back to this island. And... I love Ian Malcolm from the first movie, so I don't really think I had any expectations about what to expect from him in this movie. I just know that I went and saw it in the theater. That's really all I can remember. For me, I remember, you know, 
I had seen Jurassic Park. I was probably, you know, uh, 11 or 12. And so by the time this movie came out, I, you know, I had read Jurassic Park, the book. I'd, I was, I'd read uh, The Lost World, the book, by that point, And I was ready for the movie to come out. I was really excited, you know. Um, and I, I think, honestly, you know, the, the original Jurassic Park book was probably one of the first adult books like you know it's 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 not a sci-fi star trek book or something like that this is a book that's for adults you know and uh so i was really excited and you know i i at that point you know i'm in love with steven spielberg i love indiana jones and and so many of the things he does so i have no reason to not you know think that this movie's just going to be fantastic um and the fact that he's back and wants to do it, that's a big deal. You know, we talked about the other week and, you know, any movie I feel like that uh, a director is is just fully invested in, for me, a lot of times it's hard for it to completely suck. Uh, because at least I know the director is giving their all to it. And, and I, you know, Stephen really wants to make this movie. He wants to make a sequel. In fact, Joe Johnston who directed Jurassic Park 3, came to Steven after the first movie came out and said, hey, um, I'd love to do uh, a Jurassic Park sequel. And Steven was basically like, eh, I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I had no reason to, to not be excited about it. Um, well, before we get into anything else, I kind of wanted to get uh, into some of the ways that I think this movie does succeed. For you guys, what are the ways when you're watching Lost World, before we get any kind of criticism, what do you like? What is it about this movie that does stand up to you? You're like, oh, that's that's good stuff right there. I'll, I'll have the shortest. Uh, Let me go first. I'll okay, have the shortest list. Um, the effects are very good, um, w- with the exception of the part where uh, Julianne Moore is running around with the, the dinosaurs in the beginning. But the stegosaurus, yeah. But again, again, okay. I'm I'm veering into negativity, so I'll pull it back for you here, Matthew. But uh, the effects are very good. I'll watch Jeff Goldblum in just about anything. Um, rediscovering that Vince Vaughn was in the movie, I was like, oh hey, Vince Vaughn, I like him. Um, yeah, right after Swingers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Pete Postlethwaite uh, could, you know, you know, to borrow a very tired old phrase, he could have sat on screen and read the phone book, and I've been like, eh, that's a good performance. I like that. Um, and uh, that's the end of my list. So go ahead, anybody else? Um, yeah, I think it's uh, harder to come up with a list of things that don't work about this movie for me. This movie is um, I've I've taken some crap for saying this, but you know I'm going to stick by it because it's the truth. This is Spielberg's best movie of the past quarter century. This is better than Jurassic Park, and I love Jurassic Park just as much as all of you. You. Uh, people um (laughs) but this is better okay because this is uh basically i don't know if you think of uh jurassic park as like this like finely composed symphony you know with with uh you know it's extremely well orchestrated and everything and and there's some of the most amazing sequences in movie history in that this is just like a, a good old fashioned like barn burner with like Steven Spielberg just like shredding on the guitar and you know I I love that I love that they just kind of stripped it down they said what worked about the first movie let's just do that for two hours and it's awesome you know 
I love the fact that they chose to make Ian Malcolm the the the, the main character. I think that that's a, a really cool and interesting idea for multiple reasons. One that he's the best character in in the other movie, and two that it becomes a sort of a different movie. He essentially does what things like Marvel do, where they say like, okay, here's a character. It's like let's say I don't know Agent Carter. Okay, Agent Carter's in Captain America. She's doing her thing. When Agent Carter gets her own show, it becomes a different thing. It's not just Captain America two, but with Agent Carter as the lead. It's an Agent Carter movie. This is an Ian Malcolm movie, and I love the way that he changed his style to um, uh, fit that character's persona and he surrounded him with people who would um you know uh bounce off of him well you know that kind of thing um i love the way it looks this is you know let's not forget you know he had just worked with janusz kaminski for the first time on uh, schindler's list and here he is back now doing a dinosaur movie and janusz kaminski oh my god this thing is gorgeous it is one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see and then there's the ending which is just sort of like a cherry on top because i remember sitting there in that theater watching like awesome set piece after awesome set piece and just when you think they're wrapping it up then all of a sudden we've got a t-rex running through san diego and it's like are you kidding me this is actually happening we're watching this you can do this this is so cool it's it's amazing. It's an amazing movie. So just to be clear, like you're it. you you are saying I just want to make sure for the listeners that Jurassic Park is better than Schindler's List yep. and Saving Private Ryan. Absolutely, one hundred percent. He's okay. made other movies which okay. are better than those too, like Jurassic Park, uh, Minority Report. Okay. Minority Report comes closest. Wait, wait. Okay, to, I think wait, wait, I, okay. Wait, wait. I just I just wanted no, to point no, okay, that out because okay. I think we're going to go down a rabbit. We're going to go down a rabbit hole here. No, no, no. We've got him on <laughs> record. We understand <laughs> that he has an insane opinion about the yeah, law. Somebody, world. some somebody, somebody, um, you know, yeah. capture that audio and just make it a ringtone. No, I mean this isn't the first time that I've said this by any stretch of the imagination. No, you know, I mean not. Schindler's List is is an amazing movie, right? But there's. You know, I mean, it's got that thing that, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? I'm forgetting his name. The documentarian who did, like... Uh, Ken Burns? Um, no, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> the guy who did, like, the one about the pet cemetery and stuff. What's the guy's name? Stephen King? No. <laughs> I, he no, did, we have no idea the, what you're talking about. Okay. Oh, my God. I cannot believe I can't remember this guy's name. But he talks about how – I think it was in response to the fact that he did, like, a movie about a pet cemetery. And he talks about how, you know, like, you make a movie about Mother Teresa and you automatically get a certain amount of points. You know, it's like every movie about Mother Teresa is going to be good because it's about Mother Teresa, right? But – you can make a movie about a pet cemetery and it can be just as good or better, you know? And that's kind of how I feel about Schindler's List. I mean, I love Schindler's List. I think it's a great movie. That The only two movies in that time period that Spielberg has made that I haven't liked are War Horse and uh, Tintin. I mean, those things are terrible. Everything else that he's made has been varying degrees of good. But Lost World is is the best. It's the most skillfully made movie. That's wrong. And so, Megan, what do you think? Hold hold on one second. Before we move on to Megan, I want to ask, so what is it specifically about Lost World that makes it his best movie in, say, the last, you know, 10, 15 years? 
25 years. Um, the thing that I think makes <laughs> wow, it, it just it keeps is, getting bigger. No, so, I said wow. the last no, quarter said, century. Last 25. The last quarter century. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, since Last Crusade is what it is. Uh, I think what, what makes it his best movie, at least the thing that I, I respond to the most, is it is the clearest example of a person who is completely in control of his craft and has, you know, every aspect of filmmaking down to a science. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing what you see. I mean, like, I watched this stupid video about, like, everything that was wrong with Lost World where they nitpick the, the, the crap out oh, of I it. Oh, I love those. And, I, yeah. and I'm just like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life because, first off, half of it doesn't even make any sense. But secondly, the things that they are nitpicking are things that Spielberg was obviously aware of and yet he knows how to manipulate the audience for effect I mean that's what he does in all of his movies he's like a master manipulator and I think he does at least as far as me being manipulated he did a better job with this than anything else that he's made um, since Last Crusade so there you go Megan well um I'm definitely somewhere in the middle of John and Mike here. Um, Actually, it's funny. A lot of what you're saying, Mike, about Lost World is how I feel about Jurassic Park. Um, So, but I, I think a lot of this movie does work. And I think a lot of the reason why it does work is just like you said, Mike, it's because he took the formula that worked really well with Jurassic Park and was able to repeat it without it feeling too contrived or too repetitive. Um, I really enjoy the cast in this movie. I really enjoy a lot of the stuff that happens on the island. Um, I could totally do without the whole San Diego thing, but... um, I think Julianne Moore is great in this movie. I really like Vanessa Lee Chester, who played um, Ian Malcolm's daughter Kelly in the movie, because being at the age that I was, I had seen her in um, A Little Princess, and she was really fun in that movie. And uh, I liked to see her kind of growing up on screen and becoming this young gymnast in the movie, because I was a a gymnast when I was a kid. Um, So... I mean, it's not, to me, it's not a perfect movie. Um, I do think it's a great Steven Spielberg movie, but it's not my favorite Steven Spielberg movie. It's definitely the second best of the Jurassic Park series for me. For me, I do really like um, the look of this movie. Mm -hmm. I like that Steven specifically, you know, the, the first movie has the look and feel basically of Disneyland in the beginning you know that's that's what it is it is a theme park and that this one feels more like a jungle cruise adventure it it feels more foreboding you know the moment you you get to the island it doesn't have that um joyous happiness to it that the original movie does part of that is that the look that they craft um through the lighting and everything uh, the music alone too that that John Williams does I think really helps to set the stage that this is not Jurassic Park just a redo it's a, you know we're in a different place uh and and it's much more dangerous than it was before mm-hmm. so I really really like that the look and the feel there and the music I think those things are working really well I love the um fact too that that Steven's playing with that noir feel as well, especially with the nighttime scenes, with the dinosaurs, the way he's lighting everything, 
the backlighting uh, of the dinosaurs. Um, the, you know, I'm thinking of the T-Rexes and um, the uh, the fact that you've got uh, the raptors and everything. And it's, it looks great, and I'm with you too, John. The the effects on in here are mostly good. You know, um, the roundup scene is a little shaky now for today's standards, but you know on a whole it all holds up pretty brilliantly it's it's nice and i love i do i enjoy the acting uh, uh for the most part i really like vince vaughn i really like julian moore um and pete postlewaite i mean who gives one of my favorite lines ever referencing ernest henway saying can we get this movable feast underway <laughs> you know is just fantastic um because that's exactly what they've turned into so yeah, there's a lot about this movie, and I think all the things that I just mentioned are the first two-thirds of the film are, are really, really nice. Um, now, John, I feel like uh, you need to interject something, so I, I want like to let you. I'd like to. Now, see, the thing is, I can, I can go ahead and concede, hey, the director of photography knew how to light a scene. And the effects team that had millions of dollars at their disposal knew how to make a dinosaur look like it was real. That is true. You're absolutely right. However, the, this, problem, this movie has so many problems with it. The, the first two acts of the movie are virtually divorced from the third act. Um, I'm not I gonna, totally agree. I'm, I'm not going to bother nitpicking on things like, okay, I get it that he was doing a... Um, a, 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 a tribute, an homage to the voyage of the Demeter when Dracula rolls into London by having you know the, the dead boat with the the hand on the on the steering wheel and everything. Um, I'm not going to nitpick. Well, if the T Rex was in the hold and the baby was muzzled, who ate the crew? I'm not going to pick on things like that. <laughs> it really is the fact that every this movie is is constructed solely in a quick timetable to maximize profits and it's very obvious that he i think he took this this is the beginning of his what i would call um this is happening right in the beginning of his uh socially conscious uh phase where he started making movies with more messages than just a fun time at the theater and i think that lost world is caught in between those because the the character development and the plot lines in this movie don't pan out they don't play evenly and um you know like even at the time when it first came out i was so conflicted walking out of it because i wanted to like it a whole lot and it was the first time ever where like i sat down and i gave a movie like i i did exactly what you know what we've all done where i was like okay well this was really good about it but i really hated this and i you know the the two t-rexes coming up and 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 coming for the baby okay, that's a thrilling scene, but when I step back, when the scene is over, I'm like, well, that, actually, that wasn't constructed too well, and it, it you know, it kind of falls apart, because it's just like, it, it, it's almost like um, the, the, the scene in, um, in King Kong that, that Peter Jackson did, where it's like, oh, there's a giant ape, and then there's a dinosaur, and then there's an, and it just kept writing itself higher and higher, and it couldn't get out of it. And as for the gymnastics thing, I have nothing against the little girl actress. I really don't. I think she did a fine job. She really did. Um, however, the gymnastics thing is so crammed in there where it's like, um, 
maybe this building was built on gymnastics bars and she can sit there and the and the the velociraptor can look at her and go while she's flimp, flipping around and kicks it in the chest i mean it it's nuts i think you are really on to something that this movie does kind of get lost in translation the end of the movie was very different in the beginning uh, when they first started shooting the the end of the movie was going to be a pterodactyl attack on the helicopters that had come to rescue them. So it was going to end much more uh, similar to the way that the book ends. And Stephen just gets this idea. He he decides, I want to see a dinosaur show up on the mainland. I you know basically he doesn't apologize for the fact that he wants to to. To basically have a you know a Godzilla reference and the reference to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, Lost World, where the brontosaurus is rampaging all over London, um, that's what he decides to do, and that and it's purely his idea. Um, and so, Mike, when you say that this is Spielberg at his best, if that's his idea, it is not a good idea. It doesn't. Why not? Because it doesn't fit, like Mike said, with yeah, the rest of the movie. Fit. It I, really see, doesn't. No, it's a record scratch moment it, because the, the, the actions of our main characters have nothing to do, have no impact. Like the bad guys still get there and they still get the T-Rex and the baby and they still go, like they did nothing. Then they're flying away and they're like, okay. And then, you know, it just wipes away and it's like, oh, by the way, we know the T-Rex is coming. And it's like, oh, like the entire first two thirds of the movie have virtually no impact on, on, on the third. Well, and, it, and it's just you're setting up the old idea of, of you know, we just we're we're contriving to get T-Rex rampaging through San Diego which on a whole is is also a military city so that means that automatically the military would probably be there in, in about 5 minutes to stop this dinosaur from rampaging all over the place and put it down real quick so yeah, i mean the, it the it, fact just, that, that it the military did not show up to up. take down the T-Rex is by far the least plausible part about a movie where they breed freaking dinosaurs, okay. okay? But, look, okay, here's the thing. I don't know. To me, I do not see a problem with this at all. In fact, the the um, sort of uh, uh, different nature of the, the ending, you know, compared to the rest of the movie is one of the things that I like about it. Um, a lot, you know, this is a gear shift movie, you know, I mean, that's a thing, I don't know, I've talked about that a lot on, on my show and everything like that, it's a concept which I'm really fascinated by, the idea of movies um, going in a certain direction, and then halfway through, turning and becoming something else. I think that that's really cool, you know, I mean, like like everyone says, the, the worst thing that a movie can do is uh, show you where it's going, you know, the best thing that a movie can do is keep you guessing. Which is... And, true except for that this movie has a wonderful creepy noir feel and by the time you get to san diego you've turned into a very campy godzilla film and that doesn't work well for one thing i don't think it's tremendously campy but but also really campy when the when the t-rex is drinking out of a pool and eating a dog and there's a little boy going mommy Daddy, there's a dinosaur in the backyard. Okay. Well, I, I don't complete, see that as being... <laughs> and, and you literally have Asian people running away from a dinosaur, looking up. I mean, there's nothing but camp there. I, I, guess, I guess I wouldn't consider that to be camp. Um, but what, I'm sorry. Okay. Go, go, go ahead, Megan. What were you going to say? Well, I mean, okay, so 
this, this is the part of the movie that I have the most problems with. And a lot of it is because of the stuff that, that, that Matthew is pointing out. It, it changes the tone of the movie. And in a way, you know, the first movie was so serious at asking these questions about, you know, we're playing God. Do we have the right to do this? What are the consequences of these actions? And the first and the first two thirds of the Lost World are continuing that because Malcolm is going back to this island. People are in danger again. People are making bad decisions, and it's putting people's lives at risk. People are dying, and they want to take these creatures that are killing people off of the island. But then we get this T Rex in the middle of, of downtown San Diego, drinking from a swimming pool. And it eats this kid's dog. And that scene is simultaneously played as it's funny that the Tyrannosaurus ate the dog, but it's also really sad that the Tyrannosaurus ate the dog, which those two, the way that it's presented, just it really bothered me. It bothered me in the theater. It bothered me when I watched it again recently. And then, you know, like you said, Matthew, the obvious jokes of the Asian people running away from the dinosaur Granted, this came out in 1997 and it's 2015, but I feel like in 1997 we should have been past the point where we're making obviously semi-racist jokes, you know? Anyway. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to call that. I mean, that it, it's a it's a Godzilla. It's joke. an homage, yes. You know, but I, 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't throw that I, I I wouldn't throw that joke under the under the bus quite like that. I mean, like. There are there are enough. No, we'll just throw T Rex on top of the bus. Yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I'd be more, I'd be more apt to like if, if I'm going to drill down, like the the scale of the T Rex like seems to change uh, yeah, it as does. it's running around San Diego. Like the size doesn't stay stay consistent, and I understand the idea of like the gear shift movie, but this is this isn't a gear shift. This is a 180. Yeah, this is, I agree. Like. That's the best. That's the best type, though. That's the best kind of gear shift. I think, Megan, you hit the 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 real nail on the head. Is that this is continuing those themes from Jurassic Park, the movie of of the ideas of playing God. We talked a lot about that in the podcast last week. That was actually the majority of the podcast because it's such a big deal, even in the film. And this film starts with that is is the idea of, you know, corporate entities not learning from their mistakes and all of that stuff. But by the time you get to the camp of the third part, that all falls apart and it goes away because nobody cares anymore that they were building some themes in there because they kind of destroy even looking at any of those themes because, you, like you said, John, it's a 180, you know, and, and you haven't gear shifted up or down You've just turned people around into a completely different type of movie where I'm not thinking anymore. This is not a thinking person's movie, whereas Jurassic Park, strangely enough, looking back at it again in more depth as we did last week, it's a huge thinking person's movie. And the book is obviously full of that as well because that's actually the message that Crichton was going for. And that's John Crichton, right? Exactly. Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton. Ha, ha, ha. Sorry. Um, But... I think if The Lost World had been a standalone movie and that it hadn't been following up to Jurassic Park, I would have way fewer issues with all of these things that we're talking about. I probably wouldn't have cared so much about that tone shift in the third act. But because, and I probably would have enjoyed The Lost World a little bit more if it hadn't been a sequel to the kind of movie that Jurassic Park was. I totally see, Mike, where you're coming from. Everything that you enjoy about the movie but because of it's because it's the sequel to Jurassic Park, 
it gives me pause. Okay, but I don't think that this is completely devoid of, you know, topical uh, discussion or anything like that. I think that they're discussing different things. I mean, the first movie, you know, nailed the the, the hammered... What nailed the hammer? I'm too flustered to even come up with the, you know. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm not. Okay, with with the first movie, it was very, very freaking obvious that this was all about, like, do does man have the the right or the responsibility or whatever to uh, be careful with what they're doing in terms of science? And it asks that question, and it answers that question, and then the movie ends. But, I mean, let's not forget that, I mean, that question is answered pretty quickly it's not like there's going to be something in the third act where all of a sudden we're like oh yeah maybe it is a bad idea no we we figure that out early on with lost world you've got a number of themes going on that's one of them which they touch on because whatever i guess you have to but i think what you're looking at more in terms of like a social social message is you know the idea of um destroying the uh uh uh, wildlife and and the and the nature which exists in our world today you know the idea of big game hunters being terrible you know psychopaths and whatnot and um that i think does come to a conclusion with pete postlethwaite's storyline you he ends on a really hard note right before they leave the island where it's just like he's like I've spent enough time in the company of death. And then he drops the mic and it's like, yeah, all right. Now let's have some fun watching a T-Rex run through San Diego. And it doesn't need to be about that. But it is still about that thing which the first movie, I think, touches on and this one expands on. And that's the idea of, um, you know, a corporation trying to control something that it can't control and uh, willing to sacrifice people in the name of profit and that is what we see happening it's you know sort of like a a continuing thing and and that i think is brought to its natural conclusion once we get to san diego and i don't have any problem with them doing that by you know going 180 changing genres changing tones and uh you know just putting a cap on it that way i think that's perfectly fine i wish more movies would do that I, I don't, um, and okay. uh, the 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 biggest problem with this shift that that you're lauding here is the fact that it goes along and uh, it, it gets to San Diego, and then all of a sudden, all of these other characters and their arcs, it's just like, ah, eh, forget them. Jeff Goldblum's daughter, she's gone. Oh, Vince Vaughn, he's gone. Like these are the, these are the characters we've stuck with through the movie. Like they they and they they're just gone. Eh, they're not useful for this part. And the thing is, it's two. So basically, it becomes two different movies. It's not a gear shift at that point. It's, it's. I think it's. Eh, we didn't want to develop them any further, so we'll just. No, eh, no we're done. We're talking about the same thing. I mean, two thousand and one does this. Do you have a problem with the way that that movie's structured? Yeah, I mean, it's kind, the same. I guess I do. Okay, all right. Well, then I just don't know what to tell you. You know, I just don't know what to tell you. But I have no problems with them dropping characters or taking characters to a certain point and then dropping them and then adding other characters or looking at what these people are doing instead. That's perfectly fine with me. I don't have any problem with that at all. I think you, I like what you said, Mike, in that, you know, I love the the way that people, 
Postlewaite's character comes to that end. Yeah, me too. It, it, it's a really, it is a good storyline. It, it, it plays out nicely with, with everything that they've done on the island. The problem is, is that by making that gear shift again and by turning around 180, you go, and instead of continuing that on to its fullest conclusion with all of the characters that have been involved, like John is saying, you kind of turn this movie into a colossal Rex. It, it's it <laughs> just, it's a wreck. Um, you, you wreck everything that you've been working towards by shifting gears and not having it end on a more serious and, and important note to kind of play out the the whole thing in a more serious manner it just it doesn't it doesn't work and and i think i think honestly just to to move this the discussion a, further a little bit for me part of the reason that this movie doesn't work as well either is that you did have malcolm as the lead character and he works in the first movie because he's playing off everybody else and he's used very sparingly he's the type of character who doesn't lead a movie and whereas in this movie he just he he's he's not enough of of the anchor and his kind of like moaning about the whole problem the whole time the same way he did in the first movie it just doesn't work as well because he doesn't have any real good straight men to play off of it's just him mouthing off all the time but there's nobody else to kind of mouth back you know the first movie had Hammond to play off of him. It had Grant. It had Sattler. You know, it had Gennaro the lawyer. I mean, it has all these people to play off his character. But in this movie, there's no real person to really play off Malcolm and, and make that character pop the way it popped in the first movie. Because he's a he's a sidekick. He's not a main character. And he's best, I think, used sparingly. And they kind of shift his character so much without really giving you any kind of setup and a good explanation why it just it does that's one of the things too that doesn't work for me as well as i'd like it to i could not disagree with you more well, you sound like this. andy <laughs> it's okay look here's the, the thing about that what you're saying is absolutely true for jurassic park Lost World is a different movie. I love the fact that it's not called Jurassic Park 2. It's called The Lost World. Jurassic Park. It's basically like what they're doing with, you know, the Star Wars movies, where it's like an anthology film. This is another adventure in this universe. It's got a different set of characters. It's from a different perspective. And that guy who was the sidekick, who was designed to be um, sort of a foil for the main characters in the first movie is now made the main character. And by doing that, what they did, I mean, it's it's kind of similar to, like, Lone Gunman, you know, uh, the, the show, uh, uh, which is, you know, a spinoff of the X-Files. When you take that those characters and make them the main character, you can't have them interacting with Cancer Man and, and Mulder and Scully or anything like that. You've got to give them a new set of people to interact with and that's what they do here and the thing which I think is really cool is how um, not in terms of like his action sequences which are different as well but in terms of his character moments Spielberg adapts his directing style to accommodate that it's a different type of movie it becomes almost like a Robert Altman movie where you've got all the overlapping dialogue and and all that stuff and in terms of like not giving him solid people to um, interact with I think that all of the characters are 
very good. And the fact that he surrounded them with the, this quality of actor, I think, is pretty awesome. You've got Julianne Moore, who, I mean, come on. I mean, she's the, the best Oh, actor she's fantastic. I love right her. Now, she's right? praised her. She's, she's the best. Bond, yeah. She's the absolute best actor in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got Richard Schiff. You've got, you know, Pete Postlethwaite, Peter Stormare, or however you pronounce that dude's name. All of these great actors. And they're actors like Jeff Goldblum. You know, they're not Laura Dern or or um, Sam Neill or anything like that, or Richard Attenborough, you know? These are people who gel well with Jeff Goldblum. And I think it works extremely well. And I love the fact that it is, I mean, I guess we'll get into Jurassic Park 3 in, in a minute, but Jurassic Park 3 seems like Jurassic Park 2. This seems like the lost world, which is a different thing. It's not as good a thing. <laughs> I think it's a better thing. I, is, I was going to add, which is a better it is thing. Not, okay, it's anyway. not a better thing. Just because you know how to make a poop sandwich doesn't mean you should eat a poop sandwich. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, in terms of Jeff Goldblum as the main character in this, I actually really enjoy him as the main character. He's one of my favorite parts about the first movie. And yeah, he can't quite carry a movie on his own the same way that the lead actors from the other movie carried on their own. But at the same time, that was split between Sam Neill and Laura Dern. So they weren't even carrying that movie on their own. And I think between him and Julianne Moore, I think the two of them carry the movie together really well, just like Sam Neill and Laura Dern did in the first one. And I just really enjoyed getting to see Ian Malcolm some more. He never changes his clothes. It's not like he doesn't know what he's getting into, and he is still wearing like leather clothing and loafers to an island where he's traipsing through rivers because he doesn't care. He's Ian Malcolm. I have no problems with it. I can totally, I can totally get over him as the lead character if it means more Jeff Goldblum and more of him just being absolutely ridiculous in ridiculous situations. I love him as the main character, to be totally honest. Well, I think this is uh, going to be a very interesting continued conversation <laughs> on, on the Babel Conference and uh, over Twitter and other places as we kind of wind down the Lost World talk and head into Jurassic Park 3 because we could continue to argue about the Lost World for a long time. A long time. Exactly. <laughs> Mike um, but- can only withstand being wrong yet so long per evening. <laughs> This is true. I don't want to beat up on Mike too much, but I, you know, I can take it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that that he wanted to come on and and, and share with uh, him uh, the opinion of loving this movie. I think that's great. It it made for a much interesting, more interesting conversation than having everybody be like, eh, like the first half, you know. Um, so that's that's awesome. Well, Jurassic Park three. The third time, the charm. Um, I mean, that was going to be the question. What were they going to do? And you know, by the time they finished Lost World, uh, you know, Joe Johnson had wanted to direct the second film. And, and by the time this one came around, Steven said, you can, Joe, this is yours. You can do it. And so, um, sadly, though, it, this movie was played with a lot of script problems from the very beginning. In fact, five weeks before they decided to shoot this movie, Johnson and Spielberg rejected the entire script um, and just chucked it. Um, and they um, took some ideas from David Cope, and they get Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor to begin rewriting the script. 
Um, two amazing writers, you know, Alexander Payne, fantastic. He's a, a Oscar winner. And this script is never finished. They are getting script pages throughout the entire shoot of this film. And I think that this movie, it really plays out. that, And you can see the script problems from the beginning. I don't know, where you, when this one came around, were you guys excited um, when Jurassic Park 3 came around? No, I know I saw this one in the movie theater, but I don't really remember why. <laughs> I, I I was actually excited for it, but uh, being at a different point in my life, uh, it was out of the movie theater before I had a chance to see it, and I considered that enough of a verdict, and I didn't uh, double around to see it until uh, quite a bit later. Yeah, I was totally excited about seeing it. You know, I uh, I was working at a movie theater at the time, uh, and so I got to see it. You know, like the day before it came out. You know, before I had any. Um, you know, popular opinion to sway my judgment or whatever. And, and, you know, there were a couple of us who watched it, and we all enjoyed it quite a bit. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, look, but but as far as the lead-up to it, I mean, yeah, it's a new Jurassic Park movie, and the first one in, like, uh, what, like three years or something like that, right? Four years? Yeah, four years. So, so, yeah, I was definitely excited. But at the same time, you know, the fact that Spielberg wasn't coming back that kind of signaled like, okay, well, this is going to be Jurassic Park light, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I, yeah, that's exactly, I think, what it, it turns into because the movie is so much of a rehash of the first movie, you know. Um, they, and, and like The Lost World, they took some scenes from the original book, actually, and put them in there. Um, the aviary. They take um, the uh, the river chase scene mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. from the original Jurassic Park book. Um, in the Lost World, it had been you know the the book starts off with the the family landing on the island and the little girl getting attacked uh, there. So they they keep mining the first book because there was so much there that they just didn't put in the film the original time. And, and yeah, um, this movie I was I remember not being uber excited about it but i i still wanted to see it you know it was jurassic park and and i liked the first movie and and the other one was okay i was kind of hoping okay maybe this will be like you know the indiana jones sequels where you get to the last crusade and it's great again you know you feel vindicated by having come and watched it yeah i don't know if that happens well is there anything um about this film that works for you because i i do remember them bringing Sam Neill back for me was exciting because yeah. I really enjoyed his character from the first movie. So for me, having Sam Neill there worked uh, immediately. I, I really enjoyed having him back in this world because I think he really, I don't know, even in this movie, as crazy as it is, I think he imbibes this character really well. And even he said on the extras, he feels like he did a better job in this third movie he had a better understanding of the character than he even did in the first movie. So, uh, yeah, that works for me. I do agree with you on that. I think the opening in particular with him and when you see Alan and Ellie together again, um, even though clearly their relationship didn't work out, I really enjoyed that. It really made me nostalgic for the first movie, um, and I thought that was really well done. But that might be one of the only things I liked about the movie. I liked William H. Macy. Um But this wasn't like a breakout performance um, of his. I feel like he just kind of was channeling some other characters he had played before. Um, But it's still fun to watch him on screen. Um, 
Those are the only positive things I can find in my notes. <laughs> uh, see, uh, yeah. for, for me, going back and watching it again, I actually had a more positive reaction to Jurassic Park 3 this time than I did the first time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I, I turned it off and I was like, that, that was just a train wreck. This time I watch it, and uh, as everybody knows, my, my personal crusade is to make as many possible Star Trek V um, uh, uh, references <laughs> as possible before yes, I die. Yes, which I appreciate. And uh, th- this really feels, in a sense, like Star Trek V does, where it's like it's kind of going along, or you know, even, uh, even before it all falls apart, Superman 4 for the first 20 minutes you're kind of like this is okay all right you know it's not it's not blowing me away but you know i'm with you i'm with you and then it hits a point and you go wow they they really kind of lost their way with this and i think with this one to speak to those script problems i think that it sort of limps along and it 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 doesn't quite get its momentum but it, it keeps trying and it keeps trying and it keeps you interested enough and i think up until about the aviary point is where it just you can sort of tell they had nothing and they're like uh let's do this now and it's a shame because i think the aviary uh piece is actually a really good you know it it's a good scene i you know i like it i like the way that it's constructed i like the tension in it and, and all of that stuff even you know even though it's cheesy and i, I tend to you know beat up on stuff like this i actually like the that the you know the a-hole guy you know pops the parachute to go save the kid from the you know the baby pterodactyls that's that's pretty cool you know like that's a fun sequence I actually mostly agree with you on that because I think I've only seen this one about three times and I remember hating it the first time and when I watched it this last time I didn't hate it as much as I remember it was better than I remembered it being but it's not my favorite of the three yeah no yeah I, I I liked it um a decent amount when I first saw it um I, I think I in particular responded to the humor in the movie. I thought they did a pretty good job with that and just sort of making this one fun. Uh, but watching it again today in preparation for this and for Jurassic World, it really did not hold up for me nearly as well as I'd liked. I'd still say that there are, there are some moments in here which I enjoy, but especially watching them back-to-back with the first two is just like... Boy, you guys, you can really tell that Steven Spielberg did not make this movie. <laughs> yeah, you can. And yeah, and it it just it just falls a little flat for me. And uh, I, like you were saying, John, by the time they get to the end with the pterodactyl stuff, I'm just like, I don't even care anymore. This is just boring. This is just, I mean, there's like a scene in here where like two dinosaurs are like wrestling with each other. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, why are we even watching this? Is this really why we go see these movies? Because it's not working for me at all. I think this movie, it, I'm with you completely, Mike. This is where we completely agree. Um, we're watching this last a couple nights ago with my wife um she hadn't even seen this one um and we've been watching through them now you know getting ready for um, jurassic world and and me obviously getting ready for the podcast and, and this movie just turns to dino droppings um <laughs> you know malcolm is right this is one big pile of shh. um so it it there's the first big huge problem is this the original movie does a fantastic job and even the second movie does a great job of helping you care about the characters before you get to the island. You spend enough time with these people so you know who they are, so you have some reason to care for them. This movie goes so fast because it's only an hour and 30-some-odd minutes long 
that we get to the island, I don't care who William H. Macy's character is. I don't care who Taya Leone's character is. I don't care that they had a son there. I don't care about anybody they brought with them. The only person I care about is Grant because I already know him. But they have never given me a reason whatsoever script-wise or or even just in the film or anything to really grab on to the characters that are there. And, I mean, that's what's so great about that first movie. Think about how long we spend with Grant and Ellie and then Malcolm and, and Tim and Lex. So by the time they are in danger, you totally care about these characters. And this is where the script just, I mean, there's nothing there for them to work for whatsoever and I honestly think that Macy and uh, um, Taylone are just are are flat out bad here they're just there's nothing about them in this film that works they're playing really bad characters and there's nothing that I respond to whatsoever I think it's really bad casting either that or it's just the fact that they have a crap script to work with well and what you're saying um, about how you care about the characters from the beginning. This movie almost makes you not like the characters from the beginning, right? Because (laughs) it's this guy and his kid. We've established after The Lost World that people know about this island, that people know it's dangerous, and that governments are purposefully trying to keep people away so that they don't die by being eaten by dinosaurs. And then these two go over and start parasailing over this island. And by the time that they get cut off... I'm just sitting there thinking, well, you deserved it. You're the one that decided to go parasailing over the dinosaur island. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that the, the, the reason why the, you, I think you're not responding to Macy and Leone are because the, the characters are so terribly written. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that Leone, I think, is, is, is very good in this movie. Macy, it's like... I just feel so bad for him yeah. because you can tell that he's trying so hard. You know, he comes from that mammoth school where, like, every single line of dialogue, every single word is 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 read with with this meaning behind it, and there yeah. and, and that's what his entire performance is based on. And here he's given this script which has no meaning behind the words which are chosen, and he's trying, and it's just not working because he doesn't have anything to work with. But, I mean, he still gives it his all, and you got to admire that. I mean, he's so good in everything. Well, and, right? and Matthew, I know that you said that you only care about Grant in this movie, but I almost, they almost took that away from me as well because he agrees to go on this trip that he said he would refuse. No, Nothing could get him back on that island. But as soon as a little bit of money is dangled in front of him, he folds. So now we've established that... All that he cares about is getting money for his digs, and he'll do anything it takes to get it, even if it's something he said he would never, ever, ever do it. So they almost took away my like of Alan Grant in this movie. I was able to get over it because I like him so much, but I really disagree with that plot point. A hundred percent. That's the only thing that they brought back from the original movie, which I liked, was the idea that what scientists have to do to get money. And we talked yeah. a lot about that on the podcast. And I really liked that being brought back that this is what, I mean, that's why he would do it. He, there's no other way to get money. Alan Grant is not that desperate. <laughs> it, you uh, could you could almost, sorry, John. I'll, no, no, just, go ahead. The, you could almost get away with it if you didn't 
have a scene immediately preceding that scene where he says, there is no way in hell that I am ever going back to that island. There's nothing that you could do which will get me back. To a room full of people who probably paid to be in there to listen to him talk, right? Yeah. So, anyway. I I, I just want to say, because I I know that, you know, I I know that Ruby's going to be... going to be uh, kicking us out fairly soon. The, the one thing I want to say is, is at the end of both Lost World and Jurassic Park 3, what they have in common is highlighting the flying dinosaurs that right. uh, that, that would at some point say, you know, this, this is just an island and um, hmm, I want to leave. And uh, if, if the dinosaurs were to fly away from the island, it would be basically some sort of human apocalypse for a, a short time because... When those things go out to the mainland, the the giant flying ones, we're all screwed. Like, and, and it's you know, at the end of both of them, it's like, oh well, look, nature has a way. No, this is a bad time for nature to have a way. This is this is a time where you need to stop nature from doing what it wants to do. Period. Yeah, actually, that's a note I wrote down at the end of The Lost World was, okay, I guess we don't need to be concerned with these pterodactyls. And then again, at the end of the third movie, okay, we definitely (laughs) don't need to be concerned with the pterodactyls leaving the island. Got it. It's it's fine. (laughs) But uh, to be fair, I mean, I had the same thought at the end of Lost World, but my reading of the scene was Spielberg saying, like, everything seems fine. But we are still all screwed yeah. because that's that's the message of Jurassic Park, whether it's one, two or three. It's no matter what you do, we're still all screwed. So that's a great point. But that's the beauty of the book is that they do what any sane government would do. It'd be like, huh, it's an island full of dinosaurs. We're going to blow it up. Let's drop some bombs. Yeah. It's <laughs> I love the See, smell is, of napalm in the morning. The, this is this is a case of uh, life imitating <laughs> art, you know. This is made by a corporation, and they know that there's money to be had from those dinosaurs, and they're not going to destroy them because we need to have Jurassic Park three and four. And it gave it gave coming soon. It gave little Chris you. Pratt a paycheck, so it's all good. And <laughs> Star Lord can well, eat. One of the things that really bothers me too about this movie is that it's taking place on the same island as the Lost World. It doesn't look anything like that because in that movie they went to the Redwood Forest and filmed there so they had a distinct look for the Lost World Island. Here it looks like they're back on the Jurassic Park, you know, island and they're not. But they filmed in Hawaii and they give it that feel. It doesn't feel right. The other thing that they do, it's a horrible mishmash of Williams' original score, very badly done. And not only that, but the music shouldn't be reflecting Jurassic Park at all. It should be reflecting and building upon the Lost World soundtrack because that's where they are. But they just go, again, everything about this movie is a terrible and horrible, (laughs) horrible recreation or try to recreate and one-up the original movie, and yet it can't do it. Even the Spinosaurus this movie comes out in 2001, costs $93 million, which is $40 million more than the original. Wow. And the effects work worse here than they did in the original movie, especially the Spinosaurus, which never looks more like a, a real dinosaur. It always just looks like a monster. I think they give it green eyes, for gosh sakes. I mean, why? The T-Rex has those amazing eyes that when it opens up and they pan in on it in the first movie and in the second movie it is creepy because you feel like it's looking at you 
This, it just looks like some weird possessed monster is always looking at me. And that's that's not the Jurassic Park dinosaurs. They were always supposed to feel real. So, yeah, this is just, again, it's a colossal wreck. I mean, what, what you're seeing there is is an example of spectacle creep, right? Yeah. That's, uh, and, and I think that we're seeing it in Jurassic World as well. You know, it's like, well... We had the T-Rex in the last one. Now we got to have an even bigger dinosaur. Yeah. And we'll just throw, you know, logic and, you know, good writing out the window. Yeah. Um, but to, to speak to some of the points that you made earlier about how it was kind of like a mishmash and, and, and stuff in the island and everything, I never really had a problem with the look of the island because to me it was, you know, most of it was during the day and everything like that. And it was like a different movie so even though it was the same setting i just kind of saw it as like a different interpretation of that setting and one which was more appropriate to this movie and as far as the the music is concerned um i see what you're saying but i guess the way that i always saw it was like since this is about grant and is in a lot of ways sort of like more of a sequel to the first movie than the second movie the themes and everything that they're using are um more Grant themes as opposed to, let's say, yeah. Malcolm themes, at least as far as story is concerned. Right, but I mean, the music in Jurassic Park is all about it being a theme park. Yeah, it's about and the And all about the grandeur of basically creating the ultimate fantasy island, Disneyland experience that with the most amazing... I mean, you're, you're, you're supposed to have awe, whereas in The Lost World, the music is much more in line with um, that that very kind of jungly uh, King Kongish type feel. This movie is just an all-out monster movie. And so the Jurassic Park music has no place here. It just doesn't fit. And that's the thing that bothered me because I feel, I mean, honestly, you know, Williams was too busy to do this film in the first place. So he recommended um, Don Davis to do it and it's um it just it it completely doesn't work at all for for this movie because the i think if the music had been a lot more foreboding it might have helped just a smidge in some places but in the end it doesn't really matter because the music isn't going to make this movie anyway i i see what you're saying i mean i i think um Maybe I don't think that the Lost World music would have necessarily been appropriate either. I mean, I guess probably the thing to do would be what they did with Lost World and come up with more original themes and then just pepper in some Jurassic Park here and there. But I think also probably you had the thing going on that, that kind of happened with, um, well, Indiana Jones to, to some extent, where you, you sort of need to remind the audience, and it had been so long, you know, that the tendency, I don't think that this was the right choice, but I think probably the choice that they made was to say, like, we got to put in some Jurassic Park because people are expecting Jurassic Park. No one remembers the themes from Lost World, you know. So I don't think it's the right choice, but I think that might have been the reasoning behind it. And I, I'm pretty sure that's probably exactly why they did it. Um, you know, unfortunately, unlike Indiana Jones, where it's literally just the same character in a different adventure, it makes sense, you know. Or yeah. in Star Wars, where you have repeated Force themes or something like that. It, again, it makes sense. Although even that was originally called Luke's theme. Yeah, the you have a, yeah, you have these themes that kind of grow and, and morph with the characters and, and, you know, and uh, the, again, that's just the ge- genius of John Williams compared to a lot of other, you know, composers out there. And 
honestly the only person that I've seen take a John Williams score and adapt it for a new movie of the same character was John Ottman in his um, Superman Returns, where he's able to make it sound like a John Williams score and add some of his own work there, and they they mesh beautifully. There's there's absolutely nothing in there that doesn't just be. I'm just like this is another John Williams score, and what better you know um, compliment can you give to a score master than to say you sound just like John Williams without sounding like you just ripped him off, you know? I mean, it, it's it's great. So I, I wish that could have, it honestly, just would have rather had a few pepperings than, like, the whole score kind of trying to harken back to the glory days, which Jurassic Park 3 ain't the glory days. <laughs> yeah. uh, for you guys, uh, final thoughts and, and ratings for these two. And for those of you who won't be joining us for the, for the and I'll do it too, um, and I'll I'll do it again next week. But kind of the rankings of the films for you, um, you know, uh, what do you, what do you guys think, Mike? Uh, Lost World, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park Three would be my rankings. I would give Lost World and Jurassic Park four stars on a four star scale, and I would give Jurassic Park Three. Uh, I'm conflicted. I'm going to say two stars. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, for me, I, I think the rankings, uh, without doubt, go Jurassic Park, and I don't think the sequels should be counted as anything except Expanded Universe. So you can <laughs> ignore them if you want to. Well, that's the way Lost World is treating them, right? I don't know. They, I, I don't know if they are. Are they? That's what I've yeah. heard is that Lost World is a direct sequel to the first one, and they're ignoring the other Jurassic two movies. Jurassic World, yes. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Jurassic World. I, I think that that was a, a, a he clarified his statement. I, I think what he said later on was like, spiritually, yes, we're, Jurassic Park is the only one that we're paying attention to, but it's not like we're writing the other two out of existence. Mm. So... They're That's treating them like Star Trek. Roundabout way of saying you're pretending like they didn't happen, but <laughs> yeah. I guess so. I guess so. We'll He's see. trying to be political and nice about it. I get it. Um, well, for me, the ranking of the movies is definitely Jurassic Park, The Lost World, Jurassic Park Three. Um, I like to give my movies letter grades because I work at a university, um, so I'd probably give The Lost World a solid B. And I would give uh, Jurassic Park 3 definitely a C-. They did put in some effort, but uh, it, it got the C- because there's a character named Billy. And I am just so... There's nothing that gets on my nerves more than going into a movie theater and someone saying, Hey, Billy! I don't know why that gets me so much. No more characters in movies named Billy. Ever. Please. It's not 1956. No more. What? What if they clone Billy the Kid for Jurassic World? Or if Billy the Kid eats somebody, that'd be okay. Now we're talking a sequel. <laughs> wow, this, this if he's like this giant just and eats weird. somebody and goes, <laughs> I'd be down with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, ah, uh, goodness for me, uh, the rankings, the movies are like you guys. It's it's when this came out. Um, you know, it's. Jurassic Park, it's The Lost World, it's Jurassic Park 3. Uh, the Lost World um, is uh, 3 out of 5, and uh, for me, uh, Jurassic Park 3 is uh, 2 out of 5. It's just a horrible movie. Um, it's, it's yeah, 
So, and I, I, you guys know me. I love to be positive on this show. I love it. But there are just some times where a movie denies me that opportunity. And uh, I'm, I think that's what makes me so mad uh, the most at, at certain films. It's like, you, I can't be positive about you. I can only be negative. Um, sometimes it's best to be negative. Yeah, sometimes it's the it only is. the way they learn. Just be honest. Constructive criticism. Yeah. 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 Honesty. You, because, it, because if you start saying, like, yeah, this is good, when it's really just mediocre, then yeah. the next thing you're going to get is mediocre because the filmmakers are going to think that's good enough. Yeah. That's well, and I, I think that um, even just in general, you can look at the box office gross. You and Jurassic Park made 400 over four hundred million dollars, the Lost World makes uh, under it makes two hundred and twenty nine million. Jurassic Park three one hundred and eighty one million. So you can really see that not only does the quality decrease, I think, but people's perception of the films definitely decreases because of how much they actually go see the film. So, and I, I think it it plays out, and then that's okay. But guys, the this is not the only thing that we have been talking about on Trek FM the past week. These Jurassic films. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. I also like how they're like, here's some random stuff. Let us have one of your people. Like, they think that this is actually like a fair <laughs> trade. Like, here's some ugly Damn. shield. Take it and let me have one of your best friends in the world. <laughs> like, what is he going to do? Yeah. Hang that up on his wall and be like, this is better than McCoy. Earl Grey. You know, what the dressing up and what the the clubs and the meetings and the podcast you know all really comes down to is just finding and talking and being around other people who enjoy something that you really enjoy the orb i'd like to see the borg assimilate Ferenginar and then they would become bankers you know i could see oh my gosh i could see bankers. drones yeah yeah the, the world's strictest bank ever. Right. I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be assimilated. <laughs> the nanites go into you. Yes. <laughs> to the journey! You could say that the Equinox does get destroyed, but Captain Ransom lives. And since he is the highest ranking officer that's alive, he assumes command of Voyager. I hate that idea. <laughs> the ready room. I do like that he just drops out of the sky naked. That is the perfect way to introduce Q. And then I love, just before we cut to the credits, they get this great shot of him looking up at Picard, and he's like, hey, what up? You know, <laughs> right. A little flirty. I love it. Commentary, Trek stars. So I think it actually fits into Quantum Leap continuity somehow. I don't know. I'll don't, have to go to Pubala.com and see what they you say. dare try to make me feel obligated to watch NCIS. The 602 Club. But I loved the scene with um, Lucy and Tumnus when they first meet because mm -hmm. that's a very yeah. vivid description in the book. Um, and I felt like they, they really nailed that in terms of the way it looked and... And the CGI was advanced enough so that um, James McAvoy really looked like he had fawn legs and literary treks. Tell us about coming up with this this story for the crew of the Enterprise. Where did it come from for you, and what were some of your inspirations for diving into these characters once again? 
Well, Troublesome Minds was such a book that it left me with, as if I, I didn't quite finish. I'd come up with Troublesome Minds as an idea. That the, the idea was, what pushes Spock toward Colinar? Axonar, the official podcast. There is more to life than just get up, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, repeat until dead. There's more to life than that. And I, I believe that uh, that's the essential magic of Star Trek is that it says it, it appeals to that, that urge to get up off the couch, walk out the front door and go see what's out there. And introducing the newest addition to the network, Women at Warp. <laughs> Iman is fabulous, and I quite like Martia. Yeah, me too. She's a fun character. Yep. Also, you think Kirk would be happier about kissing himself. <laughs> right? It was his lifelong ambition. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I more feel like it's his lifelong ambition to kiss Spock, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows. Find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of this Star Trek Universe, and The Lost World, Jurassic Park, and beyond. You'll find us, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. If you are an Apple user, John and Mike and Megan, you know this, that some great things people can do to help us out. Can you guys remind me what those things might be? Hit the subscribe button. That's right, Megan. You hit the subscribe button. And and John, what else might people do to help us out on iTunes? Well, gosh, I, I think that you could go on over to iTunes and write a uh, nice positive review of what a delightful show that the 602 Club is. Yeah, those are some great things that people can do uh, to help us out on uh, iTunes. It really does. It, it helps out the show tremendously uh, for more people to be able to see the show. Um, it gets uh, more highly rated. People see it more easily as they're searching in iTunes for podcasts. So we really appreciate that. If you're not an Apple user, don't worry. We've got you covered as well. Uh, you can find the shows everywhere. Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. You can stream and download the MP3 file from the website. You can grab the RSS link as well. All of those places have great ways to share uh, uh, the podcast. They have great ways to review the podcast. So you can help us out on all of those different mediums as well. Another great way that you can help keep all the shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. Um, We can't do this without you guys. We uh, are a listener-supported network, and we really do appreciate all of those who take their hard-earned money and have the same passion that we do and support us keeping all of these shows on Trek FM coming to you. Uh, We've got some amazing content out there. We've had new podcasts joining the network and so we really appreciate you guys helping us grow. It's it's because of you guys sharing our passion and that we get to, to put all this content out there for you. If you'd like more information, go to patreon.com slash trekfm. You can find out all the current goals we have, the milestones that we're trying to reach, and you can find out all the great perks that can come from being a Patreon member as well. I'd really like to thank... Um, my associate producer, Ken Tripp. I uh, appreciate him being associate producer here on the 602 Club. It means a lot to me. Um, and I'd say thank you to Norman C. Lau, but he's now the executive producer with me of the network. And um, I really appreciate him just uh, putting all that time and effort in with uh, us on the network. It means so much. If you would like to contact us, I feel like we need some contact about this show, about The Lost World, Jurassic Park 3. Send us a contact over there at trek.fm slash contact. We'd love to have some voicemails on this. Uh, 
look in the sidebar on the show page. Go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can hit us up on Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And, of course, I know we're going to be talking about this on the Babel Conference. Check us out there on Facebook. It's our listeners-only discussion group. So only people who listen to the show know about the group. We have amazing discussions. Just type the Babel Conference in the Facebook search field or just make it easier on yourself. Go to trek.fm, click discussion on the menu bar. Guys, I am so thankful that you decided to to do this show with me. I had an absolute blast. Mike, tell everybody where they can find you on the network and elsewhere online. Uh, well, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing uh, commentary, Trek Stars and Standard Orbit. And you can also find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do commentary track stars off-topic and commentary track star babies. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And Megan, tell everybody about where they can, one, find you online and about your amazing podcast, Educating Geeks. Yeah, so if you'd like to find me online, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Meg Calcote. That's M-E-G-C-A-L-C-O-T-E. And then uh, if you'd like to listen to the other Jurassic Park discussion that's available on the interwebs, uh, you can visit educatinggeeks.com. And we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Google+, and Tumblr. Um, And we are a lot like the 602 Club. We like to find areas of the geek universe where someone we know has not experienced the thing that we love so very much and bring new people into our fandom so if you visit educating geeks you can listen to any of our podcasts covering any number of great topics but we just recently did jurassic park um actually at phoenix comic-con so um you can see that episode coming up very soon awesome man i can't wait to listen to that I love, I love, I've I've been listening to another podcast that's been doing a retrospective about Jurassic Park series, so it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, can't wait for that to come out. Guys, make sure you do um, follow and listen to Educating Geeks. The ladies there are wonderful. John, tell everybody where they can find you online, sir, and about your podcast as well, Words with Nerds. Well, actually, uh, what I'd like to say is, uh, of course, you can find me uh, crawling around on uh, Twitter at Castle Junkie. And uh, you can find me on the network uh, putting up with Mike's insanity uh, at Commentary Trek Stars. Um, <laughs> which we all witnessed. Which, uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I actually, yes, as you mentioned, I appear on another podcast called Words with Nerds, where uh, each week I actually uh, kill and then reclone my co-host Craig uh, so that we're fresh for every week. Wow, that's that's what happens every week. It's yeah, a lot of effort. It's but like Venture yeah. Brothers over there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, guys, yes. you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing the Orb with Christopher Jones talking exclusively about Deep Space Nine, as well as on Literary Treks talking about the books and comics of Star Trek with Dan Gunther. We also interview authors. It's just a fantastic show celebrating a love, passion for the Star Trek literary universe. I also have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Spend a lot of time just reviewing movies, books, talking about other things that I really like. And I really appreciate all of you joining us for this episode. And y'all come back now. Here we go.